This morning we return to our friend, the Samaritan uh, woman by the well in Sidecar. And we pick up the story just at the point <coughs> when our Lord's disciples returned to see a, an incredible sight. Our Lord was talking with a woman. And to them it was an almost unbelievable sight. And you can imagine them uh, thinking, this is just amazing. We can't even turn our backs for five minutes. And Jesus is inviting this low life of a trollop into his kingdom. What on earth is he thinking? Sharing the gospel with this immoral, heathen, idolater. At this rate of going, every Tom, Dick and Harry will be getting into heaven. Just as well we get back in time to save the day. After all, we've got to have some standards amongst God's people. <coughs> to really appreciate what's going on here, you really need to have a little bit of an understanding of the fact that the Jewish rabbis, the recognized teachers of the, of the day, would, not, would never even look at a woman in public. They would probably not even be seen talking to the, even their wives in public. In fact, it was a saying, better to burn the law than teach it to a woman. But here is Jesus engaging with a woman, and not just any woman, but a, a thoroughly immoral Samaritan woman. And yet, the Lord makes no apology for speaking to the lady. And neither must we as we seek to reach the lost of this world. After all, God's kingdom is made out of those who were fornicators, who were idolaters, who were adulterers, who were homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. For such were some of us. But we were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. To slightly modify some of or change some of Paul's words. <clears throat> oh, my family of faith, <clears throat> let us never, never self righteously look down our noses at the world as if we are somehow inherently superior. For even as we see the most godless, wicked, filthy man, truly we may say, There go I but for the grace of God. <clears throat> if you can truly say that, then we've surely learned our first lesson in true gospel-centered humility. Jesus Christ was the only one who would have been justified in bypassing us on the other side of eternity. But by the infinite grace of God, he stooped down to seek and to save that which was lost, becoming the saviour of the world. This morning, under this theme of Christ being the saviour of the world, we're going to look at a couple of truths which our Lord uh, will bring to us from this passage. And the first truth is taken from verse 34, and I'm calling it a food to eat. The disciples say to their Lord, Rabbi, eat. And in verse 32 we read, 
that he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And of course the disciples wonder, has anyone brought him anything to eat? This is a classic fourth gospel uh, situation. Whether it's Nicodemus, whether it's the Samaritan woman, whether it's the disciples. Jesus is consistently being misunderstood as he's speaking on the spiritual plane and his listeners can't get above the earthly plane. Jesus expands on his rather cryptic comment in verse 34, as I mentioned. We have that beautiful phrase, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What is this work which so drove our Lord, so much so that he could joyfully even forget about such necessities as food and drink? The Lord doesn't specifically um, give us an answer here, but if we skip forward a couple of chapters to John 6, we get a wonderful summary of what our Lord came to do. So just move forward to John's Gospel, chapter 6, and verse 37. John 6, and verse 37. Where we read, John 6, 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. You stop there a moment. Here the Lord makes the the wonderful statement that all, absolutely everyone who comes to him will receive a warm welcome and everlasting life. It is on this basis that we can preach the gospel to every creature under heaven. Telling them that on the authority of God's word, that if they will come to Christ in repentance and faith, they will be saved. And hand in hand with this truth, the Lord deems it good for us to know that for those who actually do come to Christ, this is due totally to the fact that they are part of that great company of people that were entrusted by the Father to the Son Before the beginning of time itself. It is they who are irresistibly drawn to the Son by the Holy Spirit. Or as Christ puts it, they will come. It's a dead cert. Thus we can truly say that from first to last, salvation is a great and a glorious work of God alone. But the Lord has more to say on the subject. And in verse 38 of John 6, he continues, For I have not come down from heaven to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. We see here that it's the work of Christ to save in time everyone whom the Father has given to him in eternity by giving them eternal life and raising them on the last day. There's something very wonderful here which you must not fail to notice. It is that our Lord goes out of his way to gloriously emphasize the eternal security of the believer. Do you see it? Those whom the Father gives to the Son 
will without fail come to the Son in due course. In doing so, they will most certainly receive eternal life. And these very same ones will, by the authority of God's word, be raised from the dead on the last day. Or we, could, or we could just put it like this. Who are the ones entrusted to the Son? The exact same ones who truly come to Christ in faith. And who are those who come in faith? The exact ones who will be raised on the last day. The soul-enriching truth is that from eternity unto eternity, the child of God is safe and secure in the eternal hands of God and will never be plucked out. Christian believer, I cannot linger on this subject. We need to think much of these God-honouring and soul-man-humbling truths. Especially when you're feeling very weak in yourself. We need to remember, it is not your works that will get you safe home at last. But the triune work of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit that will land you safe home on heaven's shore. For every child of God who truly exercises faith in Jesus, they were chosen for eternity. And by the sovereign good pleasure of God, they will make it to heaven safe and secure in God's will. And it was the good and glorious work of Jesus to make all this happen by dying for his people on that cross. That was his work that drove him throughout his life. And praise God, he was fully, fully successful. And on the cross he could say, it is finished. The work that you gave me to do, Father. It is finished. Now we need to return to chapter 4. So we looked at Christ's work. It's not our work, but Christ's work. His food and drink, achieving an incredible salvation as the saviour of the world. Meaning that, meaning that he saves a people out of every tribe, tongue and nation. Now I want now to turn to our work, which we are called to do today. To spread abroad the message of Christ being the saviour of the world. Christ achieved the salvation sufficient for the world. It's our job to spread the message to the world. And the picture here is not of food, but of sowing and reaping. The Samaritan woman, by this time, appears to have really lost all interest in the water from the well, and rushes back to the town saying to the people, Come see a man! He told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And you can imagine all the people looking at the woman and saying, Well, if he told you all the things you did, must be some man. And they all start to make their way to the well. But it's at this point our Lord says, Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Now probably that was a village agricultural proverb underlining the fact that when it comes to reaping a harvest one has to exercise a good bit of patience. You sow the seed that it takes a good bit of time for the crop to grow before you can start reaping. But by way of contrast 
Christ is saying, there is a harvest to be reaped right now, folks. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Maybe at that very moment, all the people actually are making their way up the main street to the well. And as customary, with the day of, as was probably the custom of the day, they, mostly, they wore mostly white clothing. This white harvest was getting ready to be reaped. And Christ continues in verse 36. But he who reaps, receives wages, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not laboured. Others have laboured. And you've entered into their labours. So we see that Christ makes it clear that his followers, that for his followers, there was a harvest to be reaped. And in this particular case, it was a large harvest uh, of what appears to be virtually the whole town of Sidecar coming to faith in Jesus. What we have here we could call a, a revival which is when God's Spirit so powerfully works that many people come to faith at the same time, more or less. And of course, this has happened many times throughout history. And the last time we really had a, a major revival here in Ireland was in 1859. There have been more, more, in more recent times, there have been sort of awakenings and smaller scale re- revivals. But the 1859, what we call the 59 revival, was the last major revival. And God's Spirit worked so powerfully that it was actually on record that there was farmers on the fields who just fell down upon their knees and cried out to God for mercy. Those days are gone, but they're not forgotten, and we long to see them again. And why should a revival not happen in our own day? For this we pray and seek God for. But for the rest of our time, I want us to look at what our Lord says about sowing. For this is a direct relevance to our situation today. To be sure, we would all love to see a a great harvest uh, coming in. But, at least for now, that's not our Heavenly Father's good pleasure. No doubt there are blades... Here and there to be plucked. And we need to keep our wits about us and be ready to do that. To reap those little individual pieces of grain here and there when it happens. But for the most part, we're called to be sowers today. And uh, immediately we can think of the, the, the picture that comes to mind of the... In ancient times, there was a sower going out and, and uh, just throwing the seed here and there and there and walking through his fields. Quite a, a monotonous, unexciting job. Much more exciting than just reaping in piles of, a great pile of harvest. You can really see something. But just to walk, trudge through your fields, sowing and sowing and sowing, with looking at really nothing, that, that was hard graft. But that seems to what we are called to today for the most part. 
So folks, that is our calling, it would seem. Let's not despise our calling. For we cannot know how big a harvest there may be in coming years and decades. We know that there certainly won't be a harvest unless we're willing to sow today. Unless we're willing to do this hard, monotonous, boring work of sowing. It is surely significant that while a good harvest is going to be reaped in sidecar that day, our Lord makes it clear in verse 38 that it was only possible because others had laboured and done the hard work of sowing. And our Lord Jesus says, you have entered into their labours. One does wonder about whom the Lord was referring to when he said those words. John the Baptist, maybe? Maybe the Old Testament prophets? But I tend to think, maybe the Lord had a, a whole small army in mind of ordinary believers like you and I who'd taken the time and trouble to speak a word of testimony and share their faith with these wild pagan Sumerians as they had opportunity. No doubt, whoever it was, they had spent much, much time sowing the seed of the word. And for all that time, it probably looked as if nothing was actually happening And it looked as if nothing would ever happen in the future. It probably felt like like they were sowing on tarmac or ploughing on concrete, as we often say today. Nothing new about that. And in my mind's eye, I can imagine a believer coming home to his wife one evening and telling her that he'd just come back from a, a business trip to Sidecar maybe flogging a few donkeys or camels or something. And while he was there, he, had the, he took the opportunity to hand out a few tracts and maybe talk to a few people about the Lord. And I can just remember his wife saying, Ugh. well, if she was an Ulster woman, she would have said, Ugh. I don't know why you waste your time. I don't know why you bother. There are just a pack of half-heavens out there, not even pure Jews. They won't believe. I bet they wouldn't believe if God himself came down and spoke to them. Why, I even heard there's some brazen woman out there on her sixth man, the brazen hussy. You can just about bet she's on a one-way ticket to hell. So do yourself a favour. Forget those people. They're never going to believe. They're never going to come to faith. They're never going to show the slightest bit of interest. Could you not stick to somebody, some group of people that's a bit more decent and, and up the scale a bit? Those Samaritans, Samaritans are just bad news. If such advice had been followed, we've got Christ's own words that there never would have been a citywide revival in his own day. How amazing! The Son of God himself could have gone there. And there still wouldn't have been a revival unless dear ordinary saints had spent time sowing and sowing and sowing the seed out on the field for years, decades, maybe centuries. My family of faith, I want to say to you this morning, let us never stop doing, never stop sowing the seed. Let's not stop doing what even the Samaritan woman herself did in her own simple way. 
Look what she said to, said to Veronica at the town. Look what she said. Come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now you can't get a more basic testimony than that. But it was a catalyst which moved the whole town to Jesus. A simple word directing people to Jesus. Surely we can all do that. Now up until this point, for the most part in John's Gospel, Jesus himself has only been talking about with the ones and the twos. The smart woman at the well, Nicodemus in the middle of the night, a few of his disciples. Now Jesus himself thinks it's worthwhile to take time for the individuals and even the least likely individuals who'd ever come to faith. Nicodemus was too high up the scale. The smart woman was too down the scale. But these are the kind of people that Jesus was willing to put time on. He didn't give up on people, and neither must we. So let's not stop sowing the good seed of the word. Certainly much of it will follow, fall by the wayside. Much of it will be eaten by the birds. Much will get choked by the weeds. But by the grace of God, some will sprout in God's time. Don't we have God's own promise? For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goes out of my wife, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in the thing I have sent it. That's the promise of God. And we need to take that promise and reverently rub it in God's face and call upon him to make good his promise, and even in these days. Or moving into the New Testament, what did Paul say to the Galatians in chapter 6? Let us not grow weary. Now, Paul knew Christian believers, and we haven't changed. We are so liable to grow weary. We're so liable to throw up our hands and say, what is the point? Doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter how much grain I throw out. Nothing ever seems to happen. Nobody ever seems to believe. It's just a waste of time. But Paul says to these Galatian believers, as he would say to us today, let us not grow weary while doing good. Why? For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We shall reap if we do not lose heart. So folks, let us take heart and keep working even if it feels like sowing on tarmac and ploughing on concrete, for there will come a day when that seed will germinate. There will come a day, to a greater or lesser extent, that sidecar will happen again. Indeed, there is a day coming when before the throne of God there shall come a great anthem of praise to the, to the Saviour of the world. You are worthy, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made us priests and kings to our God and we shall reign on the earth.
And how amazing that great throng will be made up of ordinary saints like you and I who have dared in this world to sow the seed in faith. And on that day, both he who sowed and he who reaped will rejoice together, being awestruck at how God so mightily used their, their weak, their embarrassingly weak and feeble efforts for his great glory. Wouldn't that be the equivalent of well done, good and faithful servant? Folks, these are very, very hard days. The love of many grows cold. Many of God's people give up. But folks, let's not lose heart. Let's keep on sowing in faith. And may it be that one day we stand before the throne himself and God will say, well done, my faithful servant. You didn't give up. You kept your head up. You kept going. You kept sowing. Even when there was nothing happening. Even when there was nothing to see. Even when the situation looked so utterly bleak. You kept going. You sowed the seed. And because of that, a harvest came in down the road. Who may know what the Lord may do? Who may know how the Lord may use our weak and feeble testimony even in these days? Folks, I just fair end with the closing words of 1 Corinthians 15. As Paul would say to us today, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. And we all say, Amen.